Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hey folks, and welcome to Chewing the Fat. I'm Leland Whitehouse from the Yale Sustainable Food Project, and today our guest is Harold McGee, uh, who tells us that he writes about the science and food of cooking, where our foods come from, what they are and what they're made of, and how cooking transforms them. Harold writes and thinks and talks about the science of everyday life, uh, most famously in his book On Food and Cooking, which won a number of awards in its revised edition in 2000. Uh, Harold contributes regularly to the New York Times and has published things in a whole mess of other magazines, including original research, reviews, and articles and publications ranging from food and wine to nature. Harold, thanks so much for coming. It's a treat to have you. Um, I heard in a talk you gave, uh, I heard you say that what underlies the poetry of nature is chemistry, which I thought was such an elegant phrase. Um, what do you mean? What did you mean? Well, uh, I, I guess I was thinking of the way that um, uh, science is often thought of as a kind of demystifying agent in the world, you know, that takes the romance out of things to explain, you know, the, the chemistry of, say, the pleasure of a, a bite of food. Uh, but I don't experience it that way. For me, the, the more I understand about what's going on in the world, uh, the more I appreciate what's going on in the world. Uh, so uh, when I was here at Yale, I wrote a, a, a PhD dissertation on John Keats, uh, English romantic poet, and uh, he has a, a couple of wonderful lines in which he says that um, uh, uh, Newton, uh, Isaac Newton, with his theory of light and how it works, uh, unwove the rainbow. Huh. Uh, took took all the magic out of it. But uh, it turns out that that's that's in a dramatic poem, and it's it's the lines that uh, a particular character is speaking. John Keats himself was a medical student and was really interested in uh, in chemistry and things like that. So. To me, it's um, it, it adds to the to the wonder and the mystery of the world rather than subtracting from it. Um, and in that same talk, you had some really cool things to say about the poetry and particular particular um, trickiness of fruit. What's the this is this uh, totally unique thing in the plant world? What's so cool about fruit? Well, the, the amazing thing about fruit is that that's the one thing that we eat. Uh, apart from mother's milk when we're first born, it was actually intended for us as food. So the other things that we eat, you know, vegetables, meat, fish, and so on, we just kind of take advantage of those creatures being there and consume them for our own purposes. But it turns out that fruits were actually designed by plants to be eaten by animals uh, because the plants are stuck in one spot on the on the planet and they need to move their offspring around if they're going to survive and thrive. So they make seeds, but then they enclose the seeds in this delicious material so that animals will come along, see the, see the change in color, smell the aroma, pick the thing off and eat it, and um, carry those seeds off to someplace else, manure them n nicely, and, uh, and the next generation is ready to go. And how did you come to this line of thinking uh, as regards cooking. I know you, when you, while you were at Yale, you were teaching literature. Um, and for me, cooking is always this, is like sort of a straightforward, simple pleasure, uh, totally non-scientific, for better or worse. 
how did yeah, how did you land uh, on that line of approaching cooking? Well, it was it was kind of an accident, but uh, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who later became my wife, who was a chemist, biologist, and chemist, and. She was she loved cooking as did I and we cooked a lot together. Uh, but she brought a different kind of perspective to it and uh, thought one day wh while we were both here in New Haven of giving a uh, kind of uh, college um, seminar on the thermodynamics of crystallization as a, as applied in fudge making. So it was essentially making candy. And, right. <laughs> and eating eating the experiment when it was all over. And it was a huge success. Everybody loved it. And uh, a, a little light went off in my head. You know, this is a, a, an interesting approach to something that everybody loves. And so maybe if I have trouble finding a job teaching poetry, this might be something I could uh, do instead. And that's exactly what happened. Did, and did you have a background in science or did you have a, just a foreground in science that needed to be sort of retroactively... In. Uh, I did have a background. I started out life thinking uh, that I wanted to be an astronomer. And so I went to Caltech as an undergraduate, where everybody for the first couple of years takes the same physics and math and chemistry. And so I got a, a good solid grounding in things. No biochemistry, which would have been really useful uh, when it came to food, but uh, the basics. Enough, anyway. Yeah. And uh, your book on food and cooking has been enormously well-received, all of, like from uh, home kitchens to really schnazzy kitchens in New York City. How do you think, um, you know, or how do you feel as if this new approach to what's happening in a meal has changed the way chefs are cooking? Do you, you know, the, um, how are meals changing? Or yeah, th things have changed a lot since I started writing about uh, food and cooking. Uh, mainly because the culture was changing. And uh, I actually feel kind of lucky that I got in early so that uh, I could uh, make, make a contribution in one corner of it. Um, basically, what's happened is that uh, cooks have become much more interested than they ever had been in the past in uh, understanding what's going on when they cook. And that's for two reasons, because the bar is being raised uh, every year for quality. And so you just you, you have to know what you're doing in order to cook at the same level and at a higher level every year. Uh, the other thing is that uh, for, again, a variety of uh, historical reasons, cooks are now much more interested than they used to be in creativity, in innovation, coming up with something new instead of satis uh, satisfying the expectations. You know, you go to an Italian restaurant because you like spaghetti and meatballs, and that's exactly what you want. Nowadays, a lot of the time, you go to a restaurant to see what, what, uh, what the chef's thinking about these days, what's new, what, what new ideas he has. And for innovation, it's really important to know what's going on because uh, that's where you get ideas for something you've never seen before. And do you have, uh, obviously, many chefs have your book and consult your book. Do you have personal relationship with these with these chefs who come to you with questions about like I'm I have a papaya, what's going on when I <laughs> light it on fire? It is it. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. That's that's an interesting idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do with with some, um, uh, and it's actually wonderful because of the 
the chef community has become kind of an international one now, and people travel a lot and visit each other's restaurants and so on. So I've gotten to know people from a lot of different countries uh, from having seen them over and over again and, and visited their restaurants. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, one of the nicest parts about what I do are those, uh, those relationships. And um, having learned to really look at food scientifically, are you, how does that change you at the dinner table? Are you, do you, is it a different emotional experience now than it was when you were 15 or, you know, but before you'd uh, really sunk into this stuff? Well, it, uh, not so much because of the, the scientific approach to things that I take in the books. I'd say it is a very different experience for me now, but that's, that has more to do with the fact that it kind of became my life. And so, um, uh, I've eaten a lot more and paid a lot more attention to what I've been eating mm-hmm. than I would have otherwise. But when it comes to enjoying something, if something is really well made and I put it in my mouth and it's delicious, I can just live with the deliciousness. I don't have to analyze it. I gotcha. Um, <laughs> and do you, you, I know, what's your cooking? What happens when you're cooking? Are you, are, are you cooking often? Are you often cook, eating other people's cooking? Um, are, are you applying some of your scientific cooking in your own kitchen? Uh, that's evolved over the years also because I, I had a family, two kids, uh, and I was cooking for four people pretty much every day, which gave me a lot of opportunity to both to uh, experiment. I had you know guinea pigs, uh, uh, but also to, to do things over and over again and uh, really understand what was going on from the simple repetition. Now those kids are off uh, in in their own lives, and I'm mostly when I'm cooking, I'm mostly cooking for myself, which means that uh, you know the the steaks are different, and uh, so to speak, and uh, <laughs> uh, and often it, it's you know I I just want to get it over with in order to take care of something else. So it's it, I, I'm more interested now in uh, kind of economy of means and economy of um, effort, uh, which is another side of it, you know, understanding what's going on so that you can make something that's delicious with half the work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of the game, I think, for (laughs) certainly for a college kid. Um, There are a number of professors here, and there seems to be a whole upsurge um, in the writing community of people who are taking difficult, complicated science, whether neuroscience um, or psychology. I'm thinking of here, Paul Bloom and Carl Zimmer, these people who are taking very difficult science and making it uh, palatable for for every dude uh, <laughs> and gal on the street. Um, what attracts you to that kind of writing? How did how did you find yourself doing that kind of writing, having studied poetry um, and taught much more difficult literature, and also having with with a more formal science background? How do you find yourself? Uh, and maybe you don't count yourself in that community, but it certainly seems like. You land in there somewhere. Well, I, I would uh, be delighted to think of myself in that in that company because that's that's some great company. Uh, and I guess what I would say is I uh, I really love this kind of writing because what you're doing is uh, uh, taking something difficult because you know thinking about the the molecules and what they're doing in a in a particular food as it's being cooked. You know, it it is an abstraction and you have to think about it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's really anchored in our everyday 
experience. It's a, a very familiar thing that I'm writing about. So um, I, I love that because it's, it's a way of trying to make more concrete things that we know are going on, but that are, that are kind of difficult to wrap your head around. And um, uh, so it's uh, the, the, the pleasure of trying to do that is what's kept me going in it for 30 or 40 years now. This, this may be a, uh, one of these like proverbial stupid questions, but I was wondering about it on the way here. When you heat up food, uh-huh. Is there a uni- is there like a uniform predictable thing that happens to the molecules, or is it different, uh, significantly different from food item to food item? It's hugely different. Hugely different from food item to food item. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, most foods are uh, made up of four different materials basically, and most of them, in most of them, the most important material is water. So they do mm. have that in common. But then beyond that, the the texture, the flavor, the the speed with which they absorb the heat and change, all depend on the proportions of those other things. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, I took one science class in high school and tried to get out so quick. <laughs> um, I have another. You mentioned that slugs have played a disproportionate role in our in human cuisine. <laughs> which sounded so cool. How did what happened? Okay. Well, that's uh, that might be a, a bit of an exaggeration on my part, but uh, the point I was trying to make is that uh, a lot of the flavor that we come to expect and enjoy in uh, the plant world, uh, fruits and vegetables, but vegetables especially, which weren't intended to be delicious, uh, actually come from the plant making... Uh, molecules to defend itself from all the predators out there. Not just uh, animals, not just insects, but also diseases like funguses that can uh, can destroy plants. So they generate, uh, again, because they're stuck in one place, they can't run away from these threats. They have to uh, generate uh, defenses as they're sitting there, and those defenses are chemical defenses. And so a lot, a lot of what we think of as flavor is actually a form of chemical warfare. <laughs> the plants are, are putting these things out to defend themselves against slugs and, and other things like that. And in fact, what you find is that, uh, for example, with uh, herbs like basil, which we especially value for their aroma, if you uh, grow them in conventional agriculture, where you give them all the fertilizer they need and pesticides so that they don't get attacked by any insects or, or funguses, then you know they make basil flavor, but uh, but uh, in a in a kind of half-hearted sort of way. If they're in a natural environment without any of those helps, uh, so uh, no artificial fertilizer, no pesticides, no herbicides, uh, they get attacked and they have to deal with that, and so they actually end up with higher concentrations of those flavor molecules than they do in conventional agriculture. So, uh, you know, a mangy-looking bunch of basil can actually have a whole lot more flavor if you could be kind of blind to the fact that it's ugly. Uh, would have a, a whole lot more flavor than a beautiful bunch. And do you, we spent a lot of time on this uh, podcast talking to people who um, had a lot of time at the Sustainable Food Project, thinking about the differences, I guess, more qualitatively between um, – between sustainably raised organic foods and uh, the sort of 
crappy stuff you can pick up at a dinky supermarket. On a molecular level, do you, is there a, is there a significant difference there depending on how these plants have been raised? Yeah, uh, there there are the. I mean, agriculture is really complicated because these are you know li- living creatures in a complex ecosystem, and so you know figuring out exactly what's going on is a challenge. And we're we're kind of getting there, but uh, there's still a lot uh, a lot to figure out. Uh, but I would make the point that you can you can raise bad stuff in either system and you can raise delicious stuff in either system and understanding that and then um, you know kind of as we go forward with uh, the challenges to the food system that we've got finding the best solution to particular needs uh, I think is going to involve understanding both Um, and uh, final question for a kid who is looking for uh, ways to cook economically, uh, do you have a go-to cookbook? Do you have like an old standby? Uh, let me think about that. I have I have two or three, and uh, one that I would especially recommend, uh, and it may seem daunting to begin with, but live with it and just kind of read around in it and have fun with it. It's the Zuni Cafe cookbook by a woman named Judy Rogers. Uh, The restaurant is in San Francisco, and that's how I happen to uh, know and especially love it. Um, And it's got a lot of uh, great recipes for all kinds of things, but best of all, between the recipes, it's got really clear explanations of what's going on and why to do things one way and not another way. So it's a great way to, to cook and to learn about cooking at the same time. Great. Well, Harold McGee, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, And we'll be back next week with Chewing the Fat um, with more food interviews. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.